You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You've got to figure out what you're doing in these walls other than paying your rent. Find something that lights you up that is worth all this time you give to it. Hello, it's Tony Howell, and I want to welcome you to my podcast. This is our opportunity to have conversations with changemakers, seeking the practical ways that we as artists can use our gifts to change the world. In this episode, I speak with Christine Cole, the CEO and founder of Flawless, which is a world-class hospitality company in New York City. She's a serial entrepreneur with two decades of experience owning, operating, and managing the best restaurants in New York. She's also hosted the Obamas, designed holiday windows on Fifth Avenue, and created culinary confections for Bloomingdale's, Whole Foods, and many more. In this interview, we discuss Christine's journey from artist to CEO with all of the auditions and classes and gigs in between. We also talk about creating exceptional personal and business growth through hospitality, how you can change your culture through leadership. We get into a little bit of some tricky things like having hard conversations with your boss, your agent, your partner, or partners in your business. There's so much more, and I can't wait to introduce you to Christine. Enjoy. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you, Tony. Thank you for having me. I am delighted to introduce people to you. We've been working together for quite some time, and and we've known each other for many, many years. Yeah. So let's just start off by tell us, how did Flawless come about, and what's with the funky spelling? Sure. So Flawless is the name of my company. The funky spelling's very intentional. So... Um, for those listening, it's F-L-A-W-E-L-E-S-S. And I added the extra E in there. Um, well, A, to intentionally spell it wrong because I have a, a deep belief in anti-perfectionism. Um, but I also wanted to create the word awe uh, within the word. So I have a hospitality company um, and really... Uh, the goal of creating hospitality in life or in work 
is about uh, causing awe for those around you. So I wanted the word awe to be in flawless. Well, I've seen your work and it definitely creates awe. Um, And so I'm going to definitely make sure people hop over to flawless.com and check out um, just the magic that you create. I remember our photo shoot and you were throwing flowers on dessert, which I had never seen before. (laughs) You're a hospitality guru. How did that come about? Sure. Well, I actually came to the city to sing. Uh, I went to Ithaca College uh, and um, always knew growing up I wanted to be a singer. And uh, so as soon as I graduated, I I did the thing that many artists do, which was come to the city and get a job as a waitress and uh, audition like crazy and take class like crazy and... um, and you know, fight my my way into a singing career, um, and I did that for a lot of years. Uh, and while I did that, I obviously continued to pay my bills uh, between gigs. I would land by working in restaurants, um, and my dad said to me um, early in my years, he said, um, "Why why are you waiting tables?" And I said, well, to pay my rent, obviously, duh, dad. And he said, you're wasting your life. And for my dad to say that to me, um, hit me like a knife in the chest. Um, And he said, he looked at me and he said, you've got to figure out what you're doing uh, in these walls other than paying your rent. Find something that lights you up that is worth all this time you give to it. So I said, uh, I thought about that. And that's when um, my already love for food and wine um, really began to flourish. Um, So I started to really invest in in service and food and wine and and have a delightful time while I was waiting tables in between my gigs. Um, Then doors started to open up for me in restaurants. And honestly, that success was really attractive. Um, even though I'd had success as a singer, I um, the consistency uh, and the perseverance that is required of an artist to keep going um, was w- waning on me. So I started to take some of the offers uh, in management uh, in restaurants, and um, my career just went crazy. So I've spent now the last 20 years uh, owning or running uh, New York City restaurants, Um, and managing teams. And a year and a half ago, I uh, left operations of restaurants to start Flawless. Beautiful. And I want to ask you, now that you have been an artist and then inside other businesses, and now you are the artist of your own business, can you talk about um, just the, the different experiences that you've had as a professional in all three of those areas? And is there any similarities or differences to being an artist, to being um, working in someone else's business, and then also owning and starting your own company? Oh, totally. One of the things working in restaurants taught me that when I reflect um, in being an artist, a professional artist, or in helping other people with their companies, is it's in the mistakes and how we react to them that incredible things happen. Memories are created. Um, uh, a, a regular dinner experience turns into an experience you'll never forget, the best meal of your life, or you land the job. 
like uh, an audition where you um, turn the wrong way or you uh, miss the no, or say the wrong word or drop your your lines and how you how I reacted to that landed me those jobs. So, and when I help other businesses too, it often starts with a complaint conversation. Not that I'm encouraging uh, gossip or or um, stress uh, to focus on that, I'll focus on the negative at first, but really it's in listening to people's complaints um, or mistakes or hiccups um, that we discover where there's opportunity for change. Um, and usually people are only willing to make change where they have pain. So I think that it's true in everything. Uh, and that's why I love imperfection. <laughs> that's why I flop. Yeah. <laughs> I like that duality of uh, imperfections being perfect or, excuse me, flawless. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and the willingness to take risks, you know, and, and fall flat on your face and, and finding the beauty in that. Yeah. So before we dive into a lot of your work experience, I want to talk about this idea of hospitality a little bit more. And I know on your website that you say that hospitality can be brought anywhere from the way that you dress to the way that you carry yourself to the way you treat your family, your friends. So can you give us some examples of ways to bring hospitality into your day-to-day life at home and at work and beyond? Sure. So at home, it looks like making a daily effort to create beauty, um, like making uh, my bed with gorgeous pillows, um, opening up my shades to let all the light in, um, or decorating. Well, now I'm already thinking about how I'm going to be decorating little pops of Valentine's Day around my home. <laughs> um, uh, it's about cooking and baking um, for me um, with joy in the process of cooking and baking, not just the result. Um, the the process of creating, whether I'm singing or um, or doing uh, like cards with my son for uh, of someone's birthday, the process of making that, not the end all card, is is really what causes um, uh, joy. Um, I also believe that food is love, um, whether I'm making it or serving it or someone is watching someone's reaction. So, and, and love is, is the awe I'm going for. Um, it also, for me, is about hosting um, a, a dinner party or a children's play date and allowing the food and the fun to connect the people. Um, friendship and connection are amazing examples of flawless hospitality, for sure. Well, I love watching you make magic with your son on Instagram. I'm like so jealous that he gets to have you as a mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's so kind. We talked a little bit about bringing hospitality into uh, a work environment. Um, And I know that you've worked with many, many businesses from startups to like, you know, international, you know, uh, long running companies in New York. Uh, What are some ways that you bring hospitality into businesses? Yeah, I get uh, get the leaders to focus on their people. Um, whether it's a restaurant, a, a small business with five people, or um, a international business with multiple locations that have you know five thousand people each, um, it's about uh, focusing on the people. When you support your people, everything else falls into place. I have found, and that's where exceptional growth occurs. 
um, it's again about uh, having the, the leaders understand that um, perfectionism is a culture killer. It, it is a, um, it's uninspiring to the team and um, can cause a lot of uh, high stress, which causes a lot of gossip in work environments. So having this um, anti-perfectionism or flawless attitude towards in your culture um, is, is a lot of what I teach. So if someone's working for a company and the company has not yet hired flawless, mm-hmm. um, what is one way that if someone is experiencing workplace go- gossip or a leader that is, you know, really demanding perfectionism or creative and negative negative environment, um, how can that person try to create change from the bottom as opposed to from the top? That's a really good question, and that's um, it's challenging. But um, I believe that someone uh, who may be at the bottom is has a lot of uh, power to make great change. However, um, I certainly did when I was in restaurants, um, and I feel like that is rooted in in communication. In general, in management, I know that there's a conversation that needs to be had when I get that pang of um, like I'm stressed or I I sense a lot of gossip in the work environment or I'm just, I didn't sleep well. I know there's a conversation I need to have. So whether it's me as as the boss, uh, knowing that there's maybe a termination I need to do or a write-up I need to do, or even just uh, an acknowledgement that was was, um, lacking some luster that I need to really send home. there's a conversation to be had. And I think if, if you're in a work environment where you're suffering because of your boss or you're suffering because of a colleague, um, having a really uh, um, confronting conversation, but one that has grace, that confesses your own experience of what's going on uh, in a vulnerable and honest way, and then um, puts out there a a statement of of hope for what you'd like to see in your work future with that person. A really enrollment conversation in what you want to create together with them and how you're going to be of service to that being created. Um, it's when when you first confess what's happening for yourself there's usually a disarmament or a trust that happens, even with someone who seems uh, very scary and intimidating. They usually will um, settle in and, and then listen to your words. And then if you create opportunity or a future with them that um, is holds something for them as well and that you're going to be of service to that, it's amazing uh, the not only the agreement but the joy that you will uh, cause in that. And then, of course, having follow through in what you said you would do is, is critically important as well. But hopefully, if you're not the boss, your boss is going to really be of service of setting that up as well. That's great. And I think that another instance where this may come up is if someone is not happy with their their reps, their manager, their agent. Um, so would you say that that's kind of the same conversation that you go and you you share uh, how you're feeling and then you try to, to re-engage and partner up for the future? Yeah, I think that uh, would work well. It's It's tricky when you have a working relationship with someone you are not seeing every day. 
there's the dynamic between people who are in the same work room together, like go to meetings together or client dinners together or, you know, work alongside each other. And then there's the relationship between people that like an agent or a manager that you might have daily phone conversations or email interactions with, but it's very different when you don't get um, face to face. So I would encourage someone who's suffering in that um, in that way to have the enrollment conversation face to face. Um, cause a cause a dinner, um, like make a um, a breakfast meeting happen, um, and prepare for it. Know what you're really gonna say, and and especially what your goals are with that person as before you walk out of that meeting. So you have consulted with many different brands and businesses, walked in, changed the culture. Um, if someone is looking to make the change, what are some of the questions or some of the things that you initially look for in order to create such a awe-inspiring environment? Sure. Um, well, I find out first what the leader uh, wants or what's missing. Um, maybe they aren't reaching the sales goals that they want. Um, maybe they, uh, they can't retain their staff you know, whatever their complaint is, um, I, I listen to that of the leader, but then I immediately spend time with the team, um, or if it's a very, very large team and I can't possibly talk to everyone, I spend time with key uh, people um, representing the team. Um, and I ask them what they do, uh, what's a day look like, where, what, uh, what they're really proud of, who their boss is. It's amazing the kind of answers you get when you ask someone who they report to. Um, I ask them um, if they could change something, would they change? And then I take all of that information from the leader and from the team, and I, I see where it's not lining up. And often um, this comes down to a, a people misfit um, in companies. So uh, I make some recommendations. Um, in some cases, it's a lot of terminations. Um, and, um, and in other cases, it's a lot of training. Um, but we, we set up a future um, for the company, uh, uh, causing some strong actions along the way and some milestones along the way so that we know we're going in the right direction. Um, and we either heal uh, a broken culture um, so that the team can then cause whatever was missing before that they have tension or they cause their sales. Um, and then we, we keep evaluating and seeing what else we'd like to create. But, you know, again, once you focus on your people and get the right people doing the, the things that they do best, um, sometimes it's that. Sometimes people are put in a job that might not be their strong suit. And so um, I help identify, help the leader identify those strong suits and maybe shift people's roles or titles. Um, and then uh, and then uh, the world opens up. It's amazing. Such a change maker. So just, just to give us some context, can you share maybe um, a few of your clients or, or even if you want one of these transformations that you provided for someone? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll share about um, my friend Steve, uh, who 
designed my restaurant actually, White Street. Uh, so he has a, a beautiful Italian furniture design company. Um, and he works with a team of designers in Italy to either um, make custom or um, pieces or to do big projects like a, a restaurant or um, they do the furniture for Tiffany's, for example. Um, and so Steve, I had the pleasure of working with that he designed my restaurant um, in breathtaking ways. It's still known as one of the most beautiful restaurants that ever hit the town of New York City. And he heard that I was leaving uh, the restaurant scene operationally uh, and immediately called me asking for help. Um, and he I wasn't sure if I was like, are you opening a restaurant, Steve? I'm not quite sure what's what you need my help with. Um, but he was around during the opening where I hired a lot of people and trained a lot of people. I fired some people, but I enrolled a big group of people in a mission and um, and and they enjoyed it. They had a good time and they'd work long hours for me and they wouldn't complain um, and they would help each other and they would help me. Um, and it was a, a wonderful experience. And he saw that and he said, I, you know, I have five people and I, I can't figure this out. My company's 12 years old and, and we're not making the sales. Uh, and I'm just, you know, they're not doing what I need them to do. So I took time with his team. Um, I got to know them and, and their daily work life and their goals. And um, I recommended firing all but one of them. Um, and Steve trusted me to do that. Uh, and we changed over his team and we created a new team. Um, we had some hiccups in hiring. We didn't hire perfectly when we hired the new team, but uh, eventually we did. And his sales have, uh, has, have gone up. And almost arguably more importantly, his culture is rich and joyous. And um, he is... Uh, doing has opportunity because his team can handle more to network more to have events and um, uh, to to grow his business in ways he hadn't ever even realized because the team is in place. I'm going to put you on the spot here and just ask in a world that we live in right now, when there's definitely polarity or, you know, partisan viewpoints, do you have any, light bulbs of how we can together try to enroll people beyond the mission of a company, but towards a, the human mission of like taking care of one another. Is there any, any parallel that you can see in the work that you do in creating a workplace culture that we could, you know, expand and, and try to apply to a community or to a country? Honestly, it's just about kindness. It's, there's no reason, even with as many people as I have fired, um, my husband laughs. He goes, you're the only person people hug when you fire them, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. But um, I'm so grateful that they hug me. But I, I the reason that they do is because I'm entering that conversation, not because I'm attacking that person. I mean, for goodness sakes, they're already being fired. I'm, I'm simply uh, saying what's so about a business and, and then creating a future for them that is obviously better than where they are because it's not working. 
for the business. So it's not working for them and, and create a future and uh, help them feel supported in whatever they're going to do next. And I think that there is this idea in management, in, in a business, in terminations as that example, that if you're not tough, you're not going to be heard. Um, it's like this high school football coach mentality. Um, you can see it in our country's leader, um, that if you're not insulting someone or um, making them feel small so you can feel big, that you're not going to win. And I have found 100% of the time that it doesn't work, that it works so much better to have grace, have kindness, be very honest. Some things are hard to say um, and can hurt feelings, but it doesn't mean that there is a lack of love. Um, and there's there can always be love or kindness in, in the environment and how we treat ourselves and how we treat each other. Um, that's That's it, kindness. Thank you for going there with me. I was just like, let me just zoom in here for a moment. <laughs> Let's stick shift over to another area that you are flawless in, and that's creating environments and experiences for people. So I know that you have thrown some of the most epic events in New York City at Taste of Tribeca for Broadway inspirational voices. And if memory serves, you even did something for the Obamas. I did. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience in event curating and, and what that is like? Oh, yes. Um, events are amazing. And for someone like me, who's a, you know, a theater girl uh, who is loves food and beverage and service, it's events are both of those things together. So um, it's extremely theatrical. Even a night at a restaurant is extremely theatrical. The curtain comes up, you do the show, the curtain goes down. But an event is, is a kind of... Um, pumped up version of that. Uh, and uh, people often think about events as being how many bites of food they're going to have. Um, like if I'm hosting an event and I, I want to make sure my guests don't leave hungry, this is often what I hear when someone hires me to do an event um, or like what the signature cocktail is going to be. Um, and really, uh, sure, those things are they're tools and they're fun um, to think about. But it's never the priority when I am thinking about an event. When I'm thinking about uh, Michelle and President Obama being in my space, I'm not thinking I, I want them to love that bite of meatball. I'm thinking how I want them to feel when they leave my presence. So we start with that. Like, how do you want people to feel when they dance out onto the New York City streets. Oh, you want them to dance? Okay, great. So that <laughs> helps me think about what we're going to serve and how much we're going to serve and how we're going to serve that. Um, and, I, and I always um, staff uh, appropriately, meaning I match people to the environment we're creating, uh, meaning their personalities and their skill sets. Um, whether I'm hiring someone to work for a company for 10 years or I'm hiring someone to work for uh, an event for six hours, it is equally important. Um, and so again, I focus on the people and then I really enroll them in the vision of the event. Um, and together that it pulls me like putting on a Broadway show. 
I just had an idea that there are many actors listening. So um, maybe they need to get in touch with you and and try to enroll in these fun experiences. Oh, yeah. But I also want to ask you, let's say that we're not entertaining the Obamas, but we do want to have our friends over for a special night. So Mm -hmm. what is a way that we can apply the same idea of creating a feeling for a smaller dinner party or um, brunch with friends? How can we how can we scale that down but still have the same uh, effect? Sure. So fun. I do this every week, so I'm very practiced at it. But often people who come to my home for a little get together are in awe of like how I'm getting it all done. Uh, And one of the things I give permission to people to accept is that it doesn't have to be all ready when someone walks through the door. Oftentimes, especially because my husband is so spontaneous and so social, like he'll random, we'll meet someone and then suddenly they're walking with us back to our home to come over for a glass of wine. So it's literally, I, I have no, not prepared. I don't even know if like I, the pillows that my son always throws off my couch are back on my couch looking nice. It's not about it being perfect and it's not about it being all prepared. So I set up my kitchen in a way that it is where my post is throughout entertaining. So I encourage, like if you have a galley kitchen, it's tricky. Um, I encourage you to take things out of the kitchen um, when you start to prepare and, and you have the food preparation, like maybe making a cheese plate, which I highly recommend. I don't think you should ever have a get together without a cheese plate. Um, so you grab your, your cutting board, your big wood board, you grab your cheeses out of the fridge, um, maybe some blueberries or strawberries, um, and dried fruit. And you bring it all out onto a surface. That's uh, maybe your table, uh, where people are hanging out or the coffee table next to the couch where people are hanging out. And you literally start to unpack stuff and sip on wine while you're socializing. If you're doing a dinner, um, I would prepare the cheese plate in advance and then um, have the stuff in the oven that you're checking on or, uh, or finishing that salad again while your people are with you. Um, and also if you are feeling intimidated about the cooking or the food side of things, it's great to have that be the thing that people bring So maybe you just want to focus on one thing like uh, the roast or the lasagna Um, and you can handle that uh, and get that prepared, but you have your guests, uh, would you bring the salad or would you bring some bread? Um, Or if you're like me and you like to do it all, you just tell people to bring wine. But having help is also fine. Again, it's the process and the sharing of the process with your with your friends um, or family, that is the whole point. So it's not about it being this, uh, you know, finished uh, project. It's just like you flow and with such elegance. So I want to ask you where you learned so many skills and talents. But I do want to throw an ad in here for you to say, like, I went to flawless.com as I was preparing to host Christmas Eve and I read the flawless cheese plate from cover to cover. I'm at the grocery store getting my ingredients and my guests were so happy and so thrilled. And so there's 
there's also like so many articles there of how to host Thanksgiving and and I'm sure there will be wonderful Valentine's Day and so many other things coming down the pipeline. So um, if you're enjoying this conversation, you definitely need to go check out flawless.com. Christine. Okay, so business, culture, hospitality, food, wine. Where did you pick up all of this stuff? Who have been your greatest teachers or influences? Uh, well, absolutely my mother um, from the get-go uh, and my father who worked for a French company um, and we're, we're Canadian and my dad is Scottish. So I grew up in a, in a home that always had visitors. Um, there's a kind of European or British mentality um, that's sometimes not shared with American families I have found um, where I think there's a lot more uh, preciseness is needed or it's a big deal to have uh, people over for dinner um, where in my, I just grew up with parents that if they saw a backpacker on the side of the road, they were totally at our dinner table that night. Um, and I, so I've adopted that in, in my life. That's had a big influence. My mom also cooked uh, every meal um, for our family of six every night and worked full time. So I got to learn from the ultimate multitasker um, who was also had a great um, ability with food. Uh, so she taught me so much about multitasking, entertaining and cooking. Um, and I l grew my love for baking, I don't know, uh, straight out of the womb. So I used to call my mom at the hospital, she's a nurse and say, mom, it says I'm supposed to fold eggs into flour. And I'm thinking like, I know how to fold a sheet. But this, I'm like a nine-year-old, like asking my mom, how do I fold an egg? Like so, so cute. So she would just tolerate and love me through all these questions. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that had a, obviously a big influence on me. Then in my professional career, the chefs I've worked with um, or owners I've worked with have had incredible impact on me. Um, I remember wanting to make a lobster risotto and running into Bond Street uh, restaurant where I was GM um, and said, chef, 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 um, I, chef Mark Spitzer, this is, I was like, I'm making um, lobster risotto, but it says I need lobster stock and I only have fish stock. Um, and it was just one from a, a bucket. And so he, he, he would come, you know, go to the basement and like pull out this of course, Bond Street fish or lobster stock. And he'd say, just use this, Christine. Um, so, and then I would bring that home and I would use the the three-day made amazing like lobster roux stock that Bond Street had actually made. And I'd throw it into my risotto and serve it to my husband or soon-to-be husband at that time. And I looked like a, a genius, like the most incredible chef ever. Um, so anything from that, like using my resources, but then also going back to a chef like Mark Spitzer or um, Alex Dupek or Floyd Cardoz or Jonathan Moore um, and saying, you know, I was trying to, I was reading about making chocolate truffles and I know that like tempering chocolate is really hard. Um, and then I would have these incredible chefs tell me, well, yeah, it is really hard, but try this, this, and this, or make sure you do that. 
Or did you know that you shouldn't salt your vegetables before you roast them because they sweat and they become soggy rather than crisp under the in the heat of the oven. So I had- Wait, there was a tip there. Can you repeat that? I just learned something. (laughs) I just feel like I'm getting the makeover. So tell me about salting my vegetables after they're out of the oven. After they're out of the oven. Yes, right after. But yes, if you are really going for a crisp roast, like a Brussels sprout, for example, where you want those like little burnt parts, um, don't add your salt before. Add your oil and your pepper in a real hot oven. Let them get really crispy. And then they, um, because the salt pulls the water out and it causes uh, water to be present and they steam instead of getting crispy. But yeah, I learned that from these chefs. Um, and the, the list is endless and I'll share it all. Like, and I do. Yes. I share with these Subscribe. Talks, Subscribe. <laughs> so I want to zoom in. We've talked a little bit about White Street, but you haven't touched on Christine Eats. So tell us about Christine Eats uh, first, and then I may have some follow-up questions. Sure. So I decided that I wanted to own a business, um, mostly because my husband um, is an incredible entrepreneur, and I was inspired by him. Um and I picked up Martha Stewart's book um, at the time. I don't even remember. It was like 12 somethings or like steps of something. But I love Martha. And she'd come to my restaurant recently at the time. Um, and she's like a force. Oh, she's so incredible. Um, and so I had her book and I opened up chapter one. And it's like about having a being an entrepreneur, having a business. And she said, pick something you are more passionate about than anything else. And then she talked about the entrepreneurial spirit and she basically described my husband. She said, you, you somehow just keep going. You don't ever get sick. You, you, you need less sleep than the average human being. Like this entrepreneur, she described this superhuman, which was my husband. Um, and then she said, and so you may not be that. You may not be the, have the entrepreneurial spirit, but um, either way, choose something you're so passionate about because you, to be successful, you are going to live, eat, and breathe it. It's going to require so much time and so much, so many years, and, and the perseverance is so intense that you won't succeed unless it's something you love. So I immediately knew I was going to start Christine Eats. Like, I was like, oh, gosh, what am I most passionate about? I am most passionate about food. I am going to start a food company. Um, and I happen to be, I'm always obsessing over something really difficult in the kitchen. And I love to, it's the, again, the process that I love. I happen to be obsessing over how to temper chocolate and make a chocolate truffles. I wanted to know how to make a truffle. Um, so I decided I would start with uh, Christine Eats and I was just doodling with um my new name, my name was Christine Emsley, um, and it was going to become Christine Cole when I got married. So I was playing with the CC and the CE of my old and new initials, and my Emsley was becoming my middle name. Anyway, somehow Christine and my little napkin doodle, Christine Eats, came out. So I named it Christine Eats, and I started to pick my favorite things I'd ever made, um, and uh, recipe test them further and make them products. Um, and my company quickly got a focus, which was to be, uh, liquor infused confections. 
So I had a line of prohibition truffles um, and chocolate bars uh, that I sold to Whole Foods and Bloomingdale's and did amazing fashion events for Nanette Lepore and Ann Taylor with um, and and had so much fun along the way because I got to pick me like, oh, you want a lemon um, flavored one? Okay, so we'll use lemon cello. Let's see if that tastes better with white chocolate, dark chocolate, or milk chocolate. Guess what it tasted best with white chocolate. Um, and then I also had a line of bourbon caramels. Um, my packaging was super fun. The branding, the culture of my team, um, which was all out of our apartment. Uh, God love my husband for many years. <laughs> Um, I mean, temp caramel chocolate machines and a one-year-old, like you can imagine the scene. Um, but yes, uh, Christine Eats was amazing. I decided to put it to rest um, once I opened White Street. Uh, I kept it going for like a, a year into my White Street journey. But um, Christine Eats was about six years old at that point, And I had a new baby. Um, Frith and a new company, White Street, and something's got to give. So I chose obviously not to give up motherhood. Um, and I <laughs> give up White Street at that point, even though I did a little bit later. Um, so yeah, I put Christy Needs to rest, but it lives long in me. I, I created it. I'm so proud of it. Um, and certainly those products, I still try to utilize as much as I can when I do events. And there's a flawless recipe for chocolates uh, mm -hmm. right there. So we can all benefit from that. Yeah. You are a serial entrepreneur. You have yeah. gone from company to company to company. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who's listening, who's like, gosh, how did she just start three businesses in New York City? How, how would I ever do that? What would be your advice to someone who kind of thinks they might want to start a business. What's the biggest lesson you've learned? Yeah, uh, make your plan um, and it should be financially rooted. So A, start with what you're most passionate about. But B, I'm surrounded by artists and I am an artist. So um, what I'm trying to say is that it's easy to get caught up in the vision and not have practical actions in place to create that result. So whether it's operating a restaurant, which is a, a entrepreneurial endeavor, um, or um, another business, a tech company, or a you know a, whatever you're decide, or being an actor, you're you're running your business being an actor. You have to know what your ultimate goal is, and then have practical actionable steps and milestones that you hold yourself accountable for on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. And the goal can't just be um, a ethereal one or uh, um, I want to have it, you know, I can't just be an idea. It also has to have a financial goal. Um, and that should have benchmarks along the way too, because ultimately you're not running a business if you're not making money. You're just doing a really intense hobby. Um, and so it can feel like a sellout to artists to focus so much on the business side, on your spreadsheet, on your business plan, on your um, income, um, but it's not. It's actually the measure of how 
creative and artistically successful you are is how much money you're making. Um, whichever is is your goal it doesn't have to be billions of dollars but if your goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars you need to have the roadmap uh, and accountability to to get there and have that be a part of the measure of success as well as the whatever the goal is in general i love i i just want to keep asking you questions i'm like oh there's so many things i want to ask so uh, how do you, you're a mom, you are a great friend, um, and you also are this incredible CEO. So what are some ways that you take care of yourself? How do you, how do you practice self-care in order to make all of these flawless things happen and, and come to life? Um, well, I... I really tried, I really strive for a work-life balance, but that's been a journey for me um, in my whole time, my whole 21 years in New York City. Um, it definitely hasn't always been there. Um, in fact, it's some weeks not there at all. Um, and then I try to hone it back into focus. And the way I do that is by getting enough sleep. Um, I think sleep is really important. Um, I also have so much going on in my mind that inevitably I'll have an, a night a week even that I will wake up in the night and not be able to sleep. So I believe in being grateful for the other six nights of the week where I can sleep those seven hours or, or eight hours um, so that when I have that four hour night, I'm okay. It's all good. Um, I also... Um, love to box. Um, it's incredibly um, stress releasing for me. So I, um, I like to be consistent in my uh, work, workouts and, and especially boxing. Um, and I love, uh, I, I drink water. Um, I try to drink a lot of water. It's not easy for me. I'm not a water drinker, but I fill a pitcher um, in the morning and I, uh, oh, I drink a first big glass next to my bedside. And then I fill a pitcher um, at, at that if I'm at my desk uh, throughout the day, I must finish before the end of the day. Um, and I connect with people. I make sure to prioritize my family uh, and my friends, um, whether they're far or near, I take time for them. Um, and if I don't, like uh, if I have a busy time in life and suddenly it's been a month and I haven't called my mom, I call her and I apologize for that and I reconnect with her uh, immediately. Um, or and that's true of friends, uh, new and old as well. So yeah, um, I uh, try to make time for the things that matter um, and not just get caught up in being really busy with work, which is really easy for me to get caught up in. I think that's so useful to hear. And what do you do on the night that you don't sleep? Do you just force yourself to stay in bed or do you get up and, and get to work? My mom um, says just to get up and iron. That's what she does, um, which I've actually done before. It's a wonderful, ironing is so satisfying. So, uh, it's pretty good. But normally the reason I get up is because there's a few emails I maybe didn't complete from the day before. 
it's in their front of mind. And so I'm thinking about the email or the proposal that I have due or something. So I just get up and I get, uh, make my pot of coffee and start to write that email or, or write that proposal. So we've covered a lot from starting a business to bringing hospitality and trying to change culture in your work environment. If you could wave your magical wand, which needs to exist, it, it is, we just don't <laughs> see it yet. Um, what, what changes would you like to make overall in, in the world of hospitality? Yeah, I, um, this is uh, a, a sensitive area for me to talk about because I feel so deeply about the hospitality industry. And I do see some positive growth in the areas I'm concerned about, but mostly I see an incredible deficiency in work-life balance and therefore how staff is treated. Um, it's an industry where people are treated as replaceable and easily dispensable, um, where managers are never trained. Um, they're simply servers or bartenders who are really good at serving and bartending. And then one day someone handed them keys, um, which breeds uh, stress for that individual. Um, and that stress, uh, on top of having an expectation, perhaps a chef or an owner that expects you to work 80 hours, and then doesn't train you on how to manage your people causes you to become a tyrant. And then you're like running around yelling at people. You're getting in trouble because you don't know how to manage because no one ever taught you. So you're then you put your team in trouble and then they quit or they don't show up. Um, it's like this cycle that is um, chronic in restaurants and it breaks my heart. Um, so I, I feel like I healed it where I could, but if there was a way to wave a magic wand and connect with amazing restaurateurs like Danny Meyer and, uh, Keith McNally, who've really got it figured out in terms of their people and therefore their restaurants are wonderful, um, to, to partner with them and, and somehow have an impact, um, on the industry as a whole, and if I really had a magic wand, but I feel like it would take a turbo magic wand, I would cause <laughs> every chef to stop working more than 40 hours a week and go home to their husbands or their wives, go home to their children and fill all up, cook dinner for them, and then come back a happier, non-knife-throwing, non-crazy chef. Um, and see the impact that would have on their team. Um, it would be amazing. And I bet their food would even taste better. But I do not know how to solve that. It's a very militaristic, um, old school French culinary culture that is just, you got to work 80 hours, get a lot of tattoos and, and throw knives to be a chef. So I don't know how to fix that. But that I would love to see that fix. I think there'd be a lot more joy in the restaurant industry, if I could fix that. Well, I think that you are the embodiment of that. And just by saying these words, maybe someone <laughs> will share this with, with their managers and, and restaurant tours. So now taking a little bit larger view, you're the mother of an 11 year old, am I? No, yeah, I... no, he's just about to turn nine. 
Where is my, where are my numbers Don't coming from? Don't make them okay, 11 so. yet. I can't even cancel. It's about to be nine. <laughs> so you have an amazing son, a beautiful family, an amazing husband. Um, you live in an amazing city. Uh, that being said, we are seeing, you know, just crazy events going on around our world. So this podcast is about conversations with change makers. You're clearly one. Um, if you could make a wish, wave a wand, um, affect change, what would you change about the world? Like, how can we make the world more flawless? Mm. Uh, I think that we need to have acceptance for the beautiful diversity that exists. And I think that food is an amazing connector. So I think that we should have dinner parties with world leaders and artists and children all at the same table. Um, and then we should play Uno at the end and um, and have people skip together down the street as they leave uh, and have yeah allow service and food and experience of the evening um, to cause uh, a connection to people who might be very who are very different in maybe their religious or um, backgrounds or their um, uh, political philosophies. I, I think that that's brilliant, and I'm, I hope that we get mm-hmm. to see that happen. I know. I'll throw it. I'll, I'll cook that part. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the food. The food will be great for the kiddos and for the world leader from wherever they're from. They will. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, all, okay, okay. I can't wait. Yeah. Christine, what is coming down the pipeline for you that that you can share with us? Like, what's next for you? Oh, I just want to have a greater reach. I want to have impact and inspire people and cause change in in brand culture and businesses uh, and cause joy and kindness in this world. And so I'm writing a book. Um, what? I'm writing a book. I hope <laughs> that my book will help my reach be greater than um, it is today. Yeah, I just want the world to be flawless. That's amazing. Um, I also have to echo that like your writing your work um there's so much richness there i mean you're a sommelier you're a chef like so there's there's so much to glean from you so i'm excited to see that book come to life me too um thank you so much for being here uh anything else you wanna you wanna share uh before we sign off gosh just thank you so much i'm so inspired by you tony and um it's so kind of you to ask me these questions and give me a chance to reflect on um, what I want and what I've created. So um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I mean, we talk weekly, but it, it was really a, a wonderful experience. And I'm just, like so excited for people to hear this. So for the listener who wants to get connected with you and, and they want to learn more about you, what's the best way to do so? Um, well, certainly subscribe to my website and I'll stay in touch with you constantly. Um, my website is flawless.com. That's F-L-A-W-E-L-E-S-S.com. You can also email me at uh, info at flawless.com. Um, and 
I would love to hear from you. Well, Christine, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to your book coming down the pipeline. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, it's Tony. Thank you for listening. And I just want to take a moment to highlight a few things that Christine shared. Remember that Flawless started from anti-perfectionism. So don't be afraid to take risk. And it's when we allow mistakes to happen that we can create that awe in Flawless. The process or staying in the moment is what creates the joy and the brilliance. So through doodling and wordplay is how she created Christine Eats and Flawless. Finally, do everything with kindness everything. And it's by doing that that Christine is able to get a hug from someone she's just let go of. I know that there are so many more gems in this episode, and I know for a fact that Christine and I would both love to hear from you. So take a screenshot of this episode and share your biggest insight, your favorite takeaway, or your favorite moment, and make sure that you tag Christine at Flawless Life and myself, Tony, so that we can see it. Now, if you want to hear more episodes with other changemakers, be sure to check out our entire two seasons on your podcatcher of choice. And of course, I would absolutely love it if you would subscribe and love you even more if you would leave a review. Of course, that's not all. Christine Cole is literally flawless.com. That's F-L-A-W-E-L-E-S-S.com. Her website's an amazing resource for incredible recipes, wine resources from a sommelier, visual guides for event planning, you know, changing your life and business. So head over to her website and you'll get a free wine pairing cheat sheet. And if you join her VIP list, you'll get more ways to bring world-class hospitality to your life. Now, I would love it if you'd hop over to TonyHowell.me. We have a digital wellness quiz to grade your online presence, and you'll get personalized recommendations from my team of what to watch, read, listen to, download. And I would absolutely love to be your guide to help create digital wellness and change. So thank you for listening to Conversations with Changemakers. Now, please go out there and use your work to change the world. I hope you and I can have a conversation very soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.